Hey, and welcome back to the First Issue Club. We are your weekly comic book reading podcast. Is that the right way to say it? You got it. You got it. But I know you you don't get to look at Greg this week. I'm all it's thrown off. You off. I'm completely out of sorts. I'm wearing different headphones than normal. They feel tiny on my head. My voice sounds more booming out of them, though. You, I, sa- you sound good. I kind of like. You sound good. <laughs> uh, yes, we... Well, you got to say the catchphrase. Oh, uh, just like Sue Storm, we're the podcast that loves a good read. You nailed it. You nail it every time. I love to hear that. Um, we're going to talk about some very buzzworthy first issues, as we always do. Mm-hmm. If you're new to the whole first issue club deal, welcome uh, you should know that we're going to talk about comic book news for a little bit. Mm-hmm. We also offer a Patreon premium fic. Ooh. Oh, yeah. We have to do all the stuff that Greg normally does. I know. That's why I was like, let me check this off right at the top. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll forget. Yeah. Um. So if you if you need more fic in your life, check us out on the Patreon. Vargas and I, uh, I'm Mike D., and I'm Vargas. There uh, it is. You got yep. it. Okay. <laughs> we're really... Check the box. Without Greg here, we're going to knock this out in like a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're going to be talking about a new 007 book. Yes. By Philip Kennedy Johnson. And that's going to be its own special episode. Plus, we're doing the normal Patreon episode. And on that one... We might talk, we might get into video games a little bit this time around. You know, who knows? It's a mystery even to us. And I think we're welcoming a new patron who asks us some questions about why we prefer or when we prefer CGC versus CBCS. Oh yeah, that's going to be a good one. We're going to be speaking to that too, of course, as some of our long timers know, I've got a, I've got a lot of takes on grading, so I'll... I'll ha- happily dust off my takes. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm super excited to talk James Bond with you. Um, it yeah. was a blast talking to Greg. Greg and I are going to continue to do that Bond series on the Patreon. Um, but while he is indisposed, um, I'm super excited to hear your takes on this number one. Yeah. So is it a good jumping on point? I don't know. We'll we don't get know into yet. it. You'll have to listen and see. Um, Greg, we should mention, he's talked about this before on the podcast, uh, did have a child. That's number two for him. Baby boy number two. So there's three children in that house now. <laughs> Got him. Got him. <laughs> They'll all share a playroom together. That's right. Um, so we'll we'll miss Greg over the next um, couple weeks, potentially, but he's going to be back in action here on fix soon and of course congratulations congrats baby (laughs) uh you want to get into the news you got any any other housekeeping we need to do i don't think so okay let's do it um so of course well to me i would think this is the biggest news uh i was planning on covering the new james tinian book this week yep world tree or world tr33 as one of our local comic as, shops called as it one of our local comic shop car- <laughs> did not have the heart to correct them uh but it got the whole thing got misprinted I yes guess. right um i did look on ebay of course to see what they're going for looks about 20 bucks wow 20 dollars. yeah for a misprinted world tr33 i am surprised by that yeah. so the shop that i go to did not pull them Okay. They just went ahead and sold them. Uh-huh. Um, 
it begs the question. So they are reprinting this. Yeah. And uh, I I order a lot of my comics on pre-order from Midtown out of New York City. Mm-hmm. And they handle things by the book because they're a larger operation. There's yeah. more of a paper trail for them. <laughs> They've got creators to appease because they draw big talent like that for signings and stuff. Mm-hmm. So when a creator says, I want to send this back to the printer, yeah, they're going to listen. Midtown has a Tinian signing um, the week this book comes out. Yep. And so, of course, they're not going to sell the the misprinted issue. So I've got a clean copy coming from Midtown, uh-huh. and then I've got my dirty misprinted copy. So I already got to look at that. Hell yeah. Um, the blacks are too black. Is, is basically what's going on. Sure. Some of the pages seem like way too saturated. Mm-hmm. The cover especially, like if you look at the cover, what it's supposed to look like mm-hmm. on a computer monitor versus what the cover looks like in person, it's like all the details are gone. And I think that's the biggest yeah. issue with it. But you're an artist. You expect the art you're putting out in the world to look a certain way. Sure. I get how that would be upsetting and you'd be like, yeah, we paid for it. It's a creator-owned thing. Yeah. Uh, let's do it right. For um, sure. But as a collector, it begs the question, will there be more of the clean copy or will there be more of the dirty copy? True. <laughs> or maybe True. it's a little of both. Is there so much of this comic book printed now because of this that it's almost less of a collector's item than it would have been if this book blows up? Yeah. it's uh, I think remains to be seen on that one. I think regardless misprinted ratio variants yeah if they're if they exist are going to be bananas sure right and i don't know um i picked up the a cover Uh and i don't know i would assume all the interiors of every issue got printed the same one would assume yes and they just staple a new cover on the front so the variant covers might look okay Mm -hmm. and then just have screwed up interiors yeah so Watch out for those when you're getting them slabbed or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this It's a weird thing that it's like Diamond, the publishers, can't really enforce. Where they say to comic shops in whatever notices they send them via email, hey, either send these back or destroy them. Yeah, and I mean... And they don't because people go gaga over misprinted stuff. You know, one would assume it would function like a recall. You know, it's not like, it's not like, hey, you need to send this back. It's like, hey, you can send this back and get cleaner copies. Although I guess... They yeah, that's ch- the thing. If you don't, I'm assuming you're not going to... If you don't send them back You're or, not going to get refunded. And you know what? Um, One of the things used to be with this is that it's, it was like rip the covers off. Yeah. And then send us the covers back. Right. Because then it's like, it's lower load, it's easier effort for you to send something in, but all the comics with ripped off covers are essentially useless, right? Yep. yep. I think that's technically how they're supposed to handle it. Yeah, Some so because they're just going to pulp them anyway. Right. Right. They're just going to destroy them. So, yeah. But a fun thing to have. Yeah, exactly. It, certainly in the world of collectibles, yeah. it is a collectible item. I should have bought two copies. I should have got you one. Well, I didn't know better at the time, really. You know, who knows? Yeah. And and when 
a hundred thousand of the clean copies drop. <laughs> it's gonna be a fifty cent book anyway. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. <laughs> no, no slam against it. I haven't read it yet. I'm gonna get it. I'm sure it's gonna be great. Should I talk about it on this week's episode? I've read it. Ooh, that's hot. Do we do we drop it? Are we gonna get in trouble from James? I don't think we're big enough to get in trouble. James, don't sue us. I've got I've got takes on it though. It's a take worthy book. Okay. How about I at least put that out there? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um Yeah, okay, sure. Talk about World Tree. Uh <laughs> the the second biggest news, I think, is the formation of a new publisher. Yes. From execs uh out of comicsology called Distillery. Yep. Some huge creator names. Do you have the list of names? I do. Okay. Um I'll just go down the list. It's like all your favorite creators. It's yeah. like a great list. Basically, <laughs> name an indie writer yeah. or artist, and they're probably on this list. Scott Snyder, Tula Lote, James Tinian, uh, Junko Mizuno is the only person I never heard of. Yeah. Uh, Ram V, Marika Andolfo, Joel Jones, Jock, Becky Cloonan, Brian Azzarello, uh, Elsa Ch- uh, Chartier, yes. right? uh, Stephanie Phillips, Lee Garbett, Mark... Burnin, Bernandin, that's right, and Will yeah. Dennis is yes. Will Dennis is the editor, right? Yeah, yeah. And Mark is mostly like a columnist. I think yes. he's like a Hollywood Reporter guy. He's like a writer, writer, and has written for TV shows and stuff. I think if if you're not thinking about turning your stuff into a comic book show, or, yeah, or something, at some point you're like not doing. Uh, comic books right in 2023 so yeah. it makes sense to have someone like that on staff whether it's he wants to just get back into writing comics or if he's there as kind of like a transition an, guy a, a transition guy to help advise on like moving to screenplays and stuff yeah. like that who knows but i think that's the ultimate goal of anything where you've got independent creators like this in this large of an amount getting together to say, let's start our own thing is for ownership mm-hmm. and the ability to walk away where you're making the most amount of money out of uh, streaming options and things like that getting picked up on your stories. Yeah. And that's what the the focus is reportedly from them is it's creator focused. Yeah. So Hopefully these folks will be getting some pretty peachy deals with, you know, adaptations and all that, you know, where the, where the money is. Yep. Um, what I think is the most interesting is, uh, specifically Scott Snyder, you know, he's a pretty indie focused guy these days, Yep. but he's got his own, you know, stuff he's doing. Best Jacket mm-hmm. owns Noctera, so yep. maybe he's just saving his best ideas for this new thing where he doesn't have to give a slice of the pie to image well i think it was so he started doing a lot of comicsology originals yeah and i think these people like you mentioned there's a connection to comicsology there Mm -hmm. a lot of the comic book community i think liked working with those people and that's why you saw a lot of people releasing stuff on comiXology and then moving on to publish it on Dark Horse or Image or wherever. Sure. Um, I think 
they wanted to continue those relationships with those people, but so many creators are souring or the comic book community at large is souring on comiXology. Yeah, because so it, it basically like, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, so it was like, how can we keep these um, relationships and deals going without being in Jeff Bezos' pocket? Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing I saw, let me read my notes real quick just to confirm. Um, but I think I saw that they're focusing on, yeah, oversized premium format single issues. That's their focus. I love it. So they're doing probably those big golden size or the magazine size or whatever that's become pretty popular, though, like the black yep. label books. DC black label stuff's a great way to think about it, I think. Yeah. Or you'll we'll probably have cool spot glossy covers. Yep. Um, I already signed up for their email list. Smart move. And on the site, it was like, get our exclusive offers and drops before, you yeah. know the rest of the crowd sees them. And yeah. I think I think they're maybe creating a little bit of like, maybe there's a plan to create a little heat and buzz around the comics by treating them like a sneaker drop or something. You know what I mean? Sure, <laughs> sneaker is yeah. just the first thing I think of when I hear drop. But um, some of those buzzworthy things where people are like, man, I got to line up and get the copy of this prestige premium format thing that's going to be somewhat limited and be a collector's item. That's probably a good route to um, create some community buzz that would propel something like this to get optioned a little quicker. Cause yeah. you can just like, Hey, get on Twitter and see how much of the discourse there is surrounding this book. That was one of the things that I think bad idea, like, initially did right yeah and then so many people were um confused by like how exactly to get bad idea books mm -hmm. that they stopped <laughs> they stopped being in like it completely impossible to find yeah uh and and now that's changed a little bit but maybe this place tries to recreate some of that buzz in in a different way so the other interesting part about their business model is what they're doing with digital books. Okay. I don't know if you read any no, of this. No, uh, uh So they, the digital purchases, they're available f for you know release day, day and date, yep. but then only for about a week after. Mm -hmm. And then they pull the book off their digital marketplace. Wow. But digital purchases come with, and I'm quoting, uh, let's see, with benefits, discounts, exclusive items, uh, uh, and meetups with creators, depending on the issue. So, like, you buy a digital issue, but it might come with something else. Yeah. Um, right. I'm, like, for example, you might get invited to a special whatnot yeah. chat room wherein they're signing stuff, remarking stuff. Correct. Live on camera for people per request of like the, you know, hundred people who got led into this thing. Correct. On top of that, they they're gonna open a digital marketplace for distillery books, and you can resell your digital copies <laughs> at your price point. Wow. So it's interesting. It's eBay for digital comics. Yeah. Well, I wonder how this works in terms of it being like 
are the comic books going to going to be essentially NFTs and is it Well they so they aren't NFTs in that there are multiple copies of them. Yes. Uh, what I'm wondering is how do you sell the rights to your copy if it's not tied it, to It would have to be controlled through like their website or their app. Yeah. Right? So you you sell it, you no longer have access to that digital copy yep. on distillery.com or whatever it's going to be. Cuz I would I think I'm out on NFT stuff. Yeah, NFTs are garbage and don't buy them. Yep. And they specifically say we're not doing we're not doing NFTs. Okay. They, they've called that out. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear it. Um just the environmental stuff and bullshit. It's just like mm-hmm. the comic book community did just not embrace it. Did not em- em- embrace it the way that like you know everyone initially thought like the art community would embrace it. So Correct. glad to hear that. I love the idea of um there there's this thing with like people who play card games online. Like Magic the Gathering has a big like online following mm-hmm. and part of the fun of any card based hobby is you know you play Marvel Snap mm-hmm. and and stuff like that. I don't think Marvel Snap lets you trade cards back and forth with other users. No. But imagine if it did. How yeah. much fun would that be on our like Discord with you being like I got this variant of a card but I'm looking for you know character yeah. A B or C. Does anyone on the board want to like flip it f- for something else with me? Like that would be so m- I I don't play Marvel Snap. Yeah. I might be interested in playing it just because it'd be more fun engagement with like my comic book friends online. Yeah. If you could do something like that. For sure. Um, well, now you can do that with distillery. So that is interesting. That is interesting. It makes digital comics feel less like throwing your money into a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I mean, in, obviously, you're putting your money towards a piece of art that someone created and you're getting to digest that art. That is essential to w- w- the comic book experience. Yes. Like, but it is impractical or dismissive of the hobby and the hobbyists to assume that that's the only thing that drives comic book reading. Oh, for sure. Collecting is core and essential to the hobby. Yeah. And it's it, right, right hand, left hand. Exactly sure. <laughs> right. And I want, um, if I pay the same price for a digital copy as I would a tangible copy, I'm going to want the tangible copy every single time. And the idea that they might have some um, sparsity in a digital copy or that I might be able to gain premium access to buy other merchandise if i do buy mm-hmm. a digital cop maybe i get the digital copy then three months from now um hey anyone who bought the digital copy can now unlock this variant we have for another comic book yeah. and you're like sweet like no one else is going to be able to have access to this it's going to be a super limited run yeah like perks like that mm-hmm. get me really excited about collecting digitally yeah for sure and the last important thing to mention is about this digital marketplace yep. is any transactions associated with what are, you know, book a uh-huh. benefit to a certain percentage, the creators of that original book. Yes. Even though it's a reseller's market. Right. Right. So if my whatever distillery number one 
becomes a hundred dollar digital book, James Tinian still gets a percentage of that resale sale. Is that confirmed that that's how it's that going to work? That is confirmed. That's great. And it's yeah, it's it's amazing, right? Imagine if James Tinian got the smallest slice of the resale of something is killing the children. <laughs> he'd never have to write again. No, yeah. he'd be fucking loaded. Yeah, if he got if he got half a percent of every sale. My I have like I was on CLZ the other day and my like something is killing the children number 5 like second or third printing book sells for like 80 bucks or something yeah. and it's just like man every one of these books in like the single digit issues resells for a good amount of money yeah and it is crazy to think that like i don't know how much he he made on that comic but you know not not, not near, enough not near enough for the sales <laughs> that there were for sure for sure so interesting stuff regardless i guess of how you feel about it distillery seems to be trying to shake up the market at least a little bit which is cool yeah that's cool and i appreciate you know sometimes we clowned on bad idea historically on this podcast yeah and you know sometimes it was just to have (laughs) just to be salty sure and other times you know we've been high in praise of them for the same reason that they're like not a lot a lot of new um publishers come out and they're saying they they claim that they're going to be a breath of fresh air in the comic book industry or they're going to be a disruptor. Right. Every new publisher says that. And all of them are the same. Yeah. Except for Bad Idea was really one of those places that like did something really odd that tried to sell comics different, tried to make the secondary market like a weird aspect of yeah, the collection. If if they found out that the retailer, which this at the time was a huge issue for me, that if the retailer themselves were selling copies on eBay for a markup, bad idea would blacklist those retailers. Which a hundred percent do that, and that's great. I I really appreciated yeah. that because you know Mike Russo or the Budget King who used to be on this podcast, and I had. Um, we're pulling the series that featured Punchline's first appearance yeah. at a, a comic shop that will remain unnamed in Kansas City. And we're told by a um, clerk at the store who was, you know, tighter with us that the owner more or less took those books out of everybody's polls and we're yeah. like, tell them we got shorted. Yeah. It's like, you pulled that, you ordered that book because I, because we pulled it. Right. Um, now you're saying you got shorted on it and you're selling them on eBay for like $60 yeah. a pop. Horseshit. Like, that sucks. Yeah. And I love that there was a publisher who was like, what can we do about that? Right. Um, Imagine if DC did that. Yeah. Right? Like, right. I, uh, I'd i buy every book they had. Well, and this was part of the reason, again, I feel bad sometimes about how I buy comics. Because I preach so often, support your LCS. Sure. But sometimes <laughs> your LCS isn't the best place to routinely get comic books. Yeah. That there are some, like when Patrick Glee, like you, I pull Spider-Man, when Patrick Gleason has that webhead cover come out that everyone is 
going bonkers for, all of a sudden, oh, we didn't get any A oh, covers. that's not in your box. Yeah. And then you're buying it from the same shop a month later for $10 a pop because they didn't sell them all on eBay. Right. Um, that sucks. That sucks. And it makes me say, you know, I can go on to a Midtown and I can pre-order these things for for 60% of the price that I would pay for them um, at face value yeah. or MSRP. And no 100% of the time I'm going to get the comic books that I pre-order because they're coming from such a large retailer yeah. that just doesn't care. I say support your LCS. Give your LCS a shot. Um so if well, it if it doesn't work out and you can't support that LCS, sometimes you got to move to a T-Fall or a Midtown, unfortunately. Yeah. Support I, I wish I lived in New Jersey so I could shop from NJD, NJD. all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, support your local comic shop until they give you a reason not to. You know? Yep. That's a good it, way to put it. I, the I the, tried sticking it out for a long time. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you want it you want it to be a, a relationship. You want it to be yeah. a friendship, but like it's a business transaction. Yeah. At the end of the day. Um, you know, I go to a, a comic shop here in town that I'll say eighty five percent of the time has the stuff I want and they're it's at, you know, a regular normal people price, but sometimes it's like I'm not gonna buy this here. I'm gonna buy it online because yeah. it's overpriced or you know, they're they're not they're not doing the right things. Yeah. So right. Uh, Sticky situation. Yep, sure is. Um two other little pieces of news. Uh two new Hellboy comics are coming from okay. Dark Horse. Always love Hellboy. Always cool. Um, Mike Mignola and Chris Robertson are co-writing with Mike Norton and Dave Stewart doing art and colors. Oh, I love Mike Norton. Yep. It's a one shot focusing on Hellboy. Sorry. It's called Hellboy and the BPRD 1957 from below. Okay. It's a one shot focusing on Hellboy going out on a mission, uh, with his two father figures, uh, Professor Brutenholm and Archie Morand, Morand, I don't, I've not read any Hellboy. (laughs) Okay. I have Hellboy. I just have not gotten to it yet. Yeah. All right. Don't crucify me. I've, I've, uh, that was something I caught up on, on comiXology. One of the things that I appreciate about comiXology was like, there are some of those books that are like immensely popular. Yeah. And they say, we've ringed the towel as dry as it's going to get on like physical omni and trade sales yeah and when we moved it to digital everyone who's bought it digitally at this price has bought it and then they do those like black friday 60 70 percent off sales yeah and it's like holy shit i can get the first 20 issues of this for, for like nickel five bucks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's like i used comiXology for that a lot to catch up on like classics that i was like yeah i was a baby or a five-year-old <laughs> right. when those comics started coming out and that's a good way to catch up on them yeah i well i bought the library edition of hellboy volume one did you now on, on amazon because right. it was like 23 bucks that's cheap a while back yeah. so i have it i just haven't gotten to it yet i'll report back when i earn my hellboy credentials all right it, it's good <laughs> so hellboy with his two surrogate dads going on a mission yeah i'm glad 
to see Mignola wanting to write Hellboy again. I mean, he's been he's been doing his like Mignola verse stuff, mm-hmm. and he's dipped in and out and back to a lot of those like related stories and and one shots or short series. Um, I think there was a time where he kind of ended Hellboy, and it seemed like he was never going to revisit that and just wanted to move forward. Um, but it seems to me like he was more like Hellboy's story has ended, but we can still play in the long lifespan of Hellboy and go back and tell these stories that existed between like his birth and where they ended the story. Yeah. You can flesh out some of the missing parts. Yes. For sure. For sure. Um, so the other series that's coming out is a prequel series yeah that takes place i guess millennia before hellboy even walked the earth okay uh it's called panya the mummy's curse uh and it's about the titular panya i guess she's a living mummy she features inside in the hellboy story Uh i guess and it's her story from back when she was a kid in ancient egypt right on so Filling out the world of Hellboy, yeah. like you were talking. So, world building, baby. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I love Mignola's art beyond anything else. Uh, Is he doing art on that one? He's doing covers. He's doing covers, okay. At least. Um, anyway, Hellboy, cool. So the last piece of news I have, yeah. I wish Greg was here, because I know that he <laughs> was consternated about this. A okay. Back. We talked about Shazam. Yes. And how can Shazam say Shazam? Yeah, we had without a, just flopping back and forth. We had an avid argument about this. Yeah, so boiled down to intent. That was my understanding, yes. right? Was that if you're not, if you don't say it with, you know, a pure heart or whatever, yep. you don't turn. If yes. you're just like oh, Shazam, like you taking the Lord's name in vain, uh-huh. right? You have to put some stank on it <laughs> to get for stricken it to down sin. by lightning. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Well, Mark Wade and Dan Mora, world's finest, yeah, uh, are doing the new Shazam book, and it has been announced that they are changing Shazam's name in the book okay. to the Captain. Interesting. And the reason they're doing that, Mark Wade said, is because they needed a name that the character can say, yeah, without transforming, yep, into. His alter ego. And they can't change him back to Captain Marvel. Correct. <laughs> so they went with the Captain. That's so funny. Yeah. The history of that and Captain Marvel and all that stuff is just so bonkers to me. I desperately want, and this is this is something I would do if, if I were a millionaire, right? If I mm-hmm. had money, no object, right? I want a documentary- you know, like Ken Burns jazz. Yeah. But I want comic book lawsuits. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And like the the Superman thing, mm-hmm. the Batman thing, Captain Marvel, Spawn. Yeah. With Neil Gaiman. Oh, another newsworthy thing, Lichtenstein. Did you see all of yeah, those headlines? That he's gotten accused of... Uh, stealing stealing art right yeah and i th- someone made a documentary about that and 
it started with um, a creator catching it and being like, okay, this guy straight ripped off my work. Yeah. And I got paid a dime for per page at the time. And this guy sold this painting for a million dollars. Yep. And then the more and more they looked into it, the more they were like, okay, like almost every single one of these paintings is copied from an old romance comic or maybe an obscure comic strip that was like, at the time, those people were making so many pages for so many books all at once that like a panel that shows up in a museum, you're never going to be like, hey, that was... You know, Paul so-and-so's page six from well, and, Love and Romance issue 80. And none of those folks could have anticipated the pro- pro- proliferation of the internet, right? Yeah, right. I can take a picture of that art on my Google phone and in one second find that issue for sale on eBay. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a wild... I haven't... Do you know the name of the documentary? I, I saw that there was one. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that stuff's wild. But yeah, messed up stuff. I know uh, like there was an argument kind of about um, whether or not he was really plagiarizing those things. And there was a lawyer who argued that plagiarism is when you're using someone else's work that harms what they're able to sell their work for. And which I was like that this is it's still what he's doing still violates the spirit of art. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, I don't really buy that angle of it. Yeah. Because then like what if it's still plagiarism if my art is shittier. Yeah. And I don't make as much money as the original Mm -hmm. person. Right. Like if I drew a Spider-Man. Yeah. It's still plagiarism. <laughs> right. And copyright infringement. Yeah, right. It's, like, yeah. it's all those things. <laughs> but they're doing this thing before everyone had, like, sussed out right. all the rights to those things. For too. sure. Yeah. And again, you, like you said, no internet. So how hard is it for someone to even know that Lichtenstein ripped one of your pieces of artwork? It's just... Uh, it was impossible. Yeah, yeah. Ba- basically impossible. But yeah. gross story. It, if you're a comic book fan, it's it's worth checking out some of those articles on that. For sure. Yeah, just Google Lichtenstein, not the country, and you'll find it. <laughs> was his first name Roy? I think, yeah. Something like Roy. Yeah. Uh, that's all the news I have. You got anything else? I don't think so. Okay. Are we on to... Oh, Ooh. can I say... Um, yes, you may. I absolutely diehard loved the Marvel's trailer. Oh, sure. So fucking good. So much fun. And I had just listened to Nia DaCosta, who is the director of this movie, uh-huh. on Blank Check, mm-hmm. which is, are you familiar with the movie podcast? Yep, Blank Check podcast. Yes. Yep. Uh-huh. Um so she was a guest on that, and I can't remember what movie she was talking about, but she was so funny, so cool, and I was like, man, I love that this person is making the movie for one of my favorite uh, characters. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a big movie for you, featuring all your favorite Captain Marvel. All my Captain's faves. Marvel. Yep. <laughs> like Attorney's General, right? Exactly right. <laughs> um. 
We know we know this movie passes the Bechdel test in the trailer, so we can feel really good about that. Um, it's un- it's un- gonna until the movie hits, <laughs> and they're just talking about boys the whole the time. whole entire time. <laughs> um, there's a lot of like stirring online of whether there's like misleads and who Marvel has announced the different characters are. There's a woman accuser. Oh, who yeah. is Cree, uh-huh. but she doesn't have the blue skin, so people are wondering, like, is this L'Oreal? Oh, sure. And they're, they're giving us a different name at the moment to mislead us. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of different interesting ways that this could go. I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of characters are going to maybe pop up in this that haven't been announced. Uh Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers has like kind of an amazing gallery of villains uh-huh. for having been like such a short stinted um, character during the original Captain Marvel run mm-hmm. and then later during Miss Marvel, which didn't last like a ton of issues. But we got Mystique and, mm-hmm. you know, Rogue was a big villain of hers. And you know, two big mutants, and we're talking about gearing up the MCU <clears throat> for mutants. So yeah. this, this could be a, a a movie where one of those characters is revealed. Um, we're playing in outer space, so I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. But there's some stuff with um, S.W.O.R.D. Uh-huh. and the space station that in the comics is called The Peak, but in the movie or in the trailer, it's called Saber. Saber, yeah. Um. Which is obviously a nod to sword, right? Um, and I think it's still sword. It's just saber is probably what the specific space station is called. Um, there's just a lot of fun, like current Marvel comic stuff that seems to be happening uh-huh. in the trailer, and uh, the people involved in it just seem cool. Ton- tonally, it seems like maybe this is going to resonate with the more recent. Carol Danvers stuff. Yeah. Than the first movie. I liked the first movie more than a lot of people did, but um I loved the first movie. Yeah, right? Like the throwback to the nineties was really fun. Um young Nick Fury and seeing Agent Colson back again was a blast. I uh, I think the original movie got hampered by the beginning of the superhero fatigue thing. Sure. Um, because if that movie would have come out in 2008, it would have blown people's balls off. Yeah, right. You know, like... I'll say, too, that the trailer for the first Captain Marvel movie, when it had, like, Carol as, like, a little girl picking herself back up, yeah, and uh, then as a teenager, then as a grown woman, then as a superhero, yeah, and you're just, like... This is going to do so much for, like, little girls to see this, like, kick-ass woman just pick herself back up again. Yeah. And I don't think the—I think the commercial and trailer sold that movie like it was going to be girl power, women's lib, like, in your face. And it wasn't—it was more of just, like— a fun sci-fi action movie with scrolls and aliens <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. So I think people did just, just didn't get what they wanted from it. Yeah. And and Carol wasn't like 
really fun or silly. And when you see when they were doing press for it and Samuel L. Jackson and Brie Larson were like chit-chatting together, Mm -hmm. they were having so much fun. Yeah. They were having a blast together. And the the chemistry they have just like shooting the shit in interviews, like didn't really show up in the movie because they were both playing kind of straight straight men characters. Kind of like yeah, yeah straight men characters. So that was uh a little bit I I understand some of the reasons why people don't like it though. I hold that it's a a better movie than maybe it's remembered. For sure. No, I agree. And I think Marvel's going to be a blast. The, yeah. the the idea that all three of them have like intertwined powers and they do like a switcheroo every time yeah. somebody uses their powers. That's going to be so much fun. And like, I'm <laughs> and also like this is one of those things where I I understand the complaint where people are like now I have to watch these TV shows to understand what's going on in the movie. And I'm like, yeah, I I I get that that might be frustrating. But for me, seeing Kamala Khan's whole family in the trailer, yeah. I was like, there, there's my friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know those people. There's those people I know and love. Yeah. And like, they're all so quirky and have yeah. like such fun personalities. And I'm like, oh, I get to like visit and play with them again. And like, they pop into this world and um, inter- I know that's another thing, like people who hate these things, like really hate saying like, okay, Oh, Hawkeye uh, is talking to uh, Doctor Strange. Like, holy shit. We're seeing those two interact. So much fun. And a lot of people are like, that's not a thing. That doesn't make a movie good that you just have like two characters interacting with each other. But it can still be fun. But it can still be fun. And for me, who is a Marvel super fan, it is the idea of seeing... Carol Danvers interact with Kamala Khan's family and Maria Ram- Monica Rambo yeah. interacting with Kamala Khan's family. It's just like they're, you know, larger than life characters and they're in this like small home in New York is like cool or New Jersey. You don't have to, t- I mean, you don't have to explain to me, man. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I saw a live action mood night, I filled my pants. <laughs> right? Right. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I've got my, uh, I updated my slab wall above me of Oh yes. Of Carol Keys. Carol Carol Keys. My Carol Keys. You need I'll, a sign that says Carol Keys. I know. I will, I'll walk through them. I've got my Captain Marvel um Marvel what is it? Marvel Superheroes 13 or something. Yes. And that's the first appearance of Carol Danvers. Uh-huh. And then I've got Captain Marvel 18, which is 1969, I want to say. Okay. And that's the issue where Carol gets superpowers. Uh-huh. And then I've got Miss Marvel 1, which is her debut as a superhero. Okay. And then I've got Avenging Spider-Man number 9, which is the issue where she first debuts as Captain Marvel. Hell, yeah. Those are the four big ones to have, not counting um Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel issues that debut other characters. Those are like the key Carol keys. Yeah. <laughs> you need to get a uh, Captain Marvel number one slab. Yeah, I know. I'd Kelly like to get, Sue. I'd like to get that Kelly Sue DeConnick yeah. issue uh, in a nine eight. Would be nice. Yeah, I've got it floppy somewhere, but I don't. Of course. Th- I don't think it's a nine eight. Good stuff. 
Anything else? Heck yeah. No. Finals, I, final chance. I finally got that out of my system. Okay. Would you like to go first? Well, yeah. So let me... I think you and I might have read some of the same comics. Okay. Um, let me hit you with some titles first. Perfect. I read World Tree. Uh, oh, I read World TR33. <laughs> I read Seasons Have Teeth. Got it right here. And I read Guardians of the Galaxy. Got it right here. So three big titles of the week. Excellent. All right. So we'll be ready to have some combos here. Let's start with, since we're on a Marvel kick, Uh we'll start with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. This is, everyone's kind of been wondering, what does Groot Fall mean? Uh That's the name of this arc. All the characters are in like cool Western new outfits. Like, what's that all about? Yeah. We're kind of getting some answers they're, it's getting drip fed. Yeah, it's getting drip fed to us. We got some amazing panels yeah. and full pages of what Grootfall is. While not explained to us explicitly, Yeah, we got to see it. Yeah. <laughs> and Groot, more or less, is just a massive mountain size. Uh, what Head. would you, what would you almost say? I was gonna say like a uh, tumbleweed. Oh yeah, that's like that fits thematically. Yeah, he's like, I think, lighting on fire as he enters the atmosphere of this dry desert planet, and his like tendrils just start to like suck into the planet and just like devour everything, including yeah. the people. Yeah, and the guardians are visiting this planet. To get everyone off planet. Right. Save who they can, what they can, in like the minutes they have before they, um, before group fall yeah. occurs. <laughs> um, the planet is desert style, uh, thus the kind of Western themed outfits. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know that that theme is going to continue beyond this first issue, but I would love it to. I think the character designs were so cool. Yeah. It it would be rad if they kept that motif for visiting these other planets. I think they probably will. Yeah. Cuz it seems like we like Mike said we kind of get this like pieces of info. Um one of the pieces of info we get is that this is a Guardians team that has been jaded mm-hmm. somehow. They are not only outlaws but they are they're they're blackened somehow 100 percent, and you see that in what they're happy with what they're the the amount they're happy with what they're able to accomplish yeah hey like we're not gonna be able to save everyone we've already accepted that right so much in these superhero stories or if this was a captain america book it would be like Everyone or fucking no one. Well, Steve Rogers is dying with these people if he can't yeah. save every last soul. He would have dove and sacrificed himself to yeah. save everyone else. Where in this book, Gamora just kills a guy because he's like, let's speed this up. Yeah. Everyone who's arguing's got to shut up and we got to go. And if you don't want to come, fine. I will shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay here and die. It's all going to burn anyway. Yeah. If we can get out of here with half of you, great. That's half of you that would have died that are going to live now. Yeah. Um they are so jaded towards it and it's bizarre to see superheroes 
even our more like um, rough around the edges type of heroes yeah. like a Drax yes. be so okay with letting all these people die yeah. um, right in front of them. Yep. Um, Mantis is a great character who can use her kind of like powers of influence to just get people on board and move them along. I but, wa- but even Mantis seemed like she had some kind of like a DID yeah. or a PTSD kind of alternate personality maybe. Yeah, they were like, here she is again. Yeah. She just popped back into it. Um, so yeah, there's almost like, it's almost like Mantis is maybe at times using her own power on herself. Yeah. Just to keep herself like afloat. Afloat. For sure. Yeah. Um, it really surprised me to see the team that we had be so reflective of the team from the MCU. Mm-hmm. Obviously Rocket's not there. Um, and obviously Groot is now like a big Bramble monster. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise we've got Nebula and Mantis with Star-Lord, Gamora, and Drax. Yep. And given I haven't been like a huge Guardians reader for the past like five years, but traditionally in Marvel Comics um, or the comics that I used to read with this, you know, movie-inspired team, Nebula and Mantis weren't really rolling with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's the team I'm familiar. Mantis was tangentially I, you yeah. know I, she was whatever part of the guardians but not part of the main team yeah obviously they added her as you know corporate synergy yep but i think i mean i think the team structure works yep. i loved this book yeah i thought it was great well and then we kind of see like the um i love that the narration of the book is coming from one of the children on the alien planet and it was like these guardians yeah. saved us, and it was kind of like a wistfully like thinking back on that time and who they were to us, yeah, and um, what they had become. And so you you know, there's some stuff that we're gonna unpack here. Yeah, I don't know. I I really like in the first issues being left with a lot of questions. But I still had this really nice standalone story that was like, Guardians were on this planet. They had some kick-ass new outfits that were really fun. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of action and explosions and cool alien character design. And they saved the aliens and tied a little bow on that one adventure. But in the meantime, we've been left we've been left with so many unknowns that subsequent issues are going to like jump back in time to answer here and there. Um, Arrow TV show style. Yes. (laughs) That's right. Here's the stuff you've been wondering about (laughs) in a quick, you know, little excite excursion. Um, So I'm, I'm excited to keep reading this one for sure. Yeah, I will too. Um, This is one, I know I mentioned it when they did the teaser for it on this show. This was a cover purchase for me. Yeah. Uh, You know, I saw that Western style, you know, man with no name is Star-Lord. Yeah. uh, And I knew I was going to get it. And it's it's always nice when 
the cover hides a good book too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That cover is very striking. That's the cover I picked up as well. I saw there was a Derek Chu cover that's kind of popping off Mm. because it shows off Gamora's new outfit. Oh, okay. Which is very like burlesque pirate. Yes. (laughs) It's kind of the way I'd put it. Uh (laughs) Yeah. A little, uh, Thirsty, if yeah, you will. a little thirsty, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But hey, she can swing it. It's true. It's true. If anybody can swing it, it's a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the laws of laws of physics and biology don't apply to Gamora. So, yep, she can wear anything she wants. <laughs> we, I will allow it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about seasons have teeth since we both read that one yep. too. I love Dan Waters. Um, he has done a handful of things with Danny, who is one of my favorite artists. Uh-huh. They did Coffin Bound together, and yeah. they did that Gotham Arkham book. I think it might have been a Black Label book, but it was like the guy with the who's the villain with the fingers in his eye, in his hand or the eyes in his fingers. I don't know. Um, they did any in any case. They did like a really creepy book that might have been called like Arkham City or something. It was okay. super cool. Sure. So love the author. Yeah. Um. Always excited to see people that I love on doing big DC stuff to go back to indie. Yeah. And see kind of what they've been uh, holding back as like a passion project or like storyline they want to keep to themselves. Yeah. So, this is, I would call it a, a horror book. Yeah. Would you call it a horror book? I, you know, I, looking at the cover and knowing that it's on Boom, Yeah, I kind of anticipated it to be a horror book. Yeah. But once I got done with it, I was like, "Is it's more of a drama? Mm-hmm. And in, in any case, it's about uh, this main character whose wife has presumably died. Yep. And he's kind of living this sheltered life. He's a retired photographer. Yeah, journalist, photographer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And everybody in his town has abandoned town because spring is coming. Yeah. And as we find out, spring is a literal monster. Yes. That rampages across. It's like a kaiju-sized beast. Yeah. Made of flowers and trees and yeah. a deer skull. Uh-huh. Um, Every year, I guess, right? And each season is a different monster. We can assume. Well, they talk about summer. Do in they? The, okay. In that last panel. Oh, I I must have missed that. It's it's on that post-it. Okay. Whatever. Um. So he he is a journalist, and he stays in town to take pictures of spring. Yep. Remembering his wife the whole time, and how she yep. would have loved to see spring come through and it's this whatever uh you get a great phone conversation that's like you you assume it's like him and his son or daughter or somebody who's calling him to make sure he got out of town okay yeah and he lies and says like yeah yeah i'm already out of town and bed and breakfast or whatever yeah Yeah. um but us as the reader we can see he's stayed behind and is 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 either like has a death wish or has some different relationship to yeah the spring monster. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's kind of what is hinted at at the end. Yeah. Is that maybe the monster isn't as monstrous as we think. Yes. Um, right. So I I 
I mean, to give anything else away is like to spoil the book, I guess. I think we can spoil it, right? Yeah. We're a reading club. We're a reading club. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So he he finds these youths, yep. mischievous youths, um, and he passes out because he gets stuck in this gazebo. It's collapsed. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up, and the, the spring monster is asleep or in some sort of hibernative state. And the kids walk up and start touching it. Yep. But the monster doesn't react to them. Yeah. So he snaps this picture. And the last page of the book is that picture on the front page. Of the news. Of the news. Newspaper. And that sticky note that I talked about yeah. said, uh, some, like, summer is roaming through Munich next month. Oh, do you, do you want to go? Something it. like that. Yeah. So um, I was absolutely intrigued by this book yeah i mean getting through it it it, i i want to know more about this guy i want to know more about his relationship with his wife i want to know more about the world he lives in i i I mean it's the perfect issue one yeah whether his wife was taken by one of these creatures or if she had some sort of involvement in how they came to be or something like we don't know, but it seems like his wife had some sort of like passion of, of knowing about these things. Right. Um, which is interesting to me. Additionally, there's a part where like he steps on a little weed. Oh, and, yeah. And the spring monster is like, yeah. And that, I, I think there's maybe a motif to this that is like, the the seasons or or nature in the world has like um become personified out of out of like or or wants some like retribution for like what we've done to the environment sure and so i mean that could be something that's just like an overtone or undertone of this eventually when we read more but that could just be me reading into it but that particular scene was very striking to me yeah and i think the Bravo to the colorist. I don't know if it's one of the names on the cover or if it's like the artist did the colors as well. I'll look it up. But a lot of the book is in gray tones. Yeah. And then when you see spring for the first time and it's like in all its vibrancy against this dark washed out town um, and you really like it's. It's like spring only exists as this monster and the view of this world is just like gray winter. Yeah. <laughs> and so to see this like striking beast come through that has all the colors of spring in a world like now devoid of nature and color yeah. was just like a really cool motif. Yeah. I I also liked the choice to have the flashback with his wife in green. Yeah. Instead of sapia or black and white or yeah. whatever. Which which you know leads you to think there was a simpler time then and things were right with nature yeah. and the seasons and this is something that's happened in the last, you know, 20 years. At yeah. this point he's like he looks like he's in his 60s maybe. Correct. Um Sebastian Cabrol just listed as artist. Okay. So presumably arts and color. Yeah. Bravo. Yeah. Great book. Um, there are some 
pretty bomb ass variants for it if that strikes your fancy. Yep. Um, for I'll say for fans of sparse comics. Yeah. If you're looking for like a heady read, or if you need a lot of like exposition and and world building, you don't necessarily get it in this first issue. It's pretty sparse. Yeah. But the promise of what's to come is like exciting. Correct. Uh, I didn't realize um, Dan Waters did Homesick Pilots too. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great creator. Yep. And um, Sebastian Cabral, the artist, did Hungry Ghosts. The oh, Anthony Bourdain. Ghosts. Yeah. And Maestro World War M for Marvel. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Got some cred. Yeah, nice. Right on. You want to talk about World TR33? <laughs> yeah. Give us some, some hits. <laughs> um, so, the I'll just give you like the, some of the, why don't I, instead of like saying what the, what happens in the book. Yeah. Why don't I give you some just like broad themes yeah and then give you like kind of my take on how what what it felt like reading this book okay so the one of the big themes in it is like um online culture and the violence it inspires and like mass shooting or like senseless killings okay and the last couple weeks i feel like have been tough for like mass killing stories in the news and legislators arguing over gun control. And it's just been like really depressing for me. Yeah. And so there was one side of this book that was just like hard to read because I was like, hit too close. Yeah. I don't want more like gun violence. Yeah. But if it's anybody. I feel like if it was a creator other than James Tinian, I I might not have had the like second to step back and be like, okay, it's it's commentary. And he does stuff like this all the time where yeah. he takes like a interesting sci-fi bent and like uses it to hold a mirror up to culture at large and say well, let's take this, like, gross, nasty part of who we are as humans and say, like, what, what if what if this was, like, an uncontrollable thing or what if this was a, um, instead of a, a, a disease of the mind, more of, like, a real, actual um, disease or affliction yeah. that could be, like, caught and transferred. Cool. Rather than, so kind of what he like did, like a mental illness thing. It's a, a Department of Truth mirrors pretty closely yeah. to like that being a commentary on um, uh, alternative facts, and the yeah. truth is what I want to believe and what I read the most on Facebook. Well, like, what if we say the thing culture believes at large actually becomes the truth? Yeah, it's kind of doing uh, a similar thing in saying that. Seeing violence, experiencing violence becomes a literal mind virus yeah. instead of like <laughs> like a figurative mind virus. It sounds a lot like what he did with mimetic, mimetic cognetic, it, yeah. 
that's way way back when it's, when he was first starting out. The book itself feels very on brand for Tinian. Yeah. Um. All that to say, I think I can give you that context without like really spoiling much. It was an exhilarating, interesting read, but I felt very depressed and like gross while reading it sure. too. And which was sounds like that was the intent. It was probably the intent. Yeah. Um <laughs> uh which you know like I, I I understand and I respect that as um, part of the art is evoking a certain feeling from somebody, but it's like just like any anything that's like a movie that I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have to like sit down and like feel bad yeah. to like appreciate like this thing. Schindler's List. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like I know Schindler's List is an incredible movie, and I know I like am gonna love it, but like. Working long weeks and like feeling like bummed all week, right? And then being like, Friday, I'm gonna sit down and watch like Schindler's, Schindler's List. List for three hours. Yeah. It's just kind of hard to be like, okay, now the Holocaust movie after like yeah. all this. Um, you got to gear up for it. Yes, yeah. yeah. But once you once you get through those things, you really appreciate them. So I'll say that yeah. I I think this is one of those things. Sometimes it feels like a little nasty or gross to make like a sci-fi story out of something that is so, that feels so real. But I don't know. This, this book's, I think I'm going to keep buying it and keep reading it. I think it's going to be a hard pill to swallow for me. Sure. My, my wife is a teacher as well. And I mean, like there's been a lot of discourse every time gun violence happens. There's been, there's always tons of discourse on yeah. what, elementary school teachers responsibilities are and what sort of like weapons could be on hand at elementary schools and whether that (laughs) helps or hurts and that being part of my life and like thinking about uh what my wife has to deal with or and what her students have to think about when they go to schools and then um be confronted with this as like these themes is like a uh a comic book yeah it's tough <laughs> it's just kind of yeah. tough yeah i feel you my fiance is a middle school teacher too yeah so yeah i'm i'm you there with it. you yeah. i'm with you <laughs> uh well i'm looking forward to being bummed by this book when it comes out yeah. in two weeks right <laughs> thank you mike D. yeah april 26th is the new drop date for it um, like I said, I think, a, I think a lot of comic shops just went ahead and sold it. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to be getting that prison variant. I'll tell you that much. Very cool cover. The one in 10. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting that one. Yeah. Um, on a different note. Yes. <laughs> I read the new Jerry Duggan book. Hey. <laughs> the giant cock Jew. Lighter fare. <laughs> a little bit lighter. So this is from... The Deadpool team, uh-huh. Jerry Duggan and Scott Kolbish. Yeah. Um, and it is... What publisher? Image. Image, okay. Yeah. So, it's Godzilla. If Godzilla shit and had sex with a building. Uh-huh. 
this is not for children. <laughs> Literally, the first thing this Godzilla creature does when he gets out of the water is takes a big dump all over a building. Oh my god! And the dump like melts people. <laughs> And then it mutates them into, like, uh-huh. other creatures that eat people. And then he has the big monster has sex with a building. Yeah. And they show his big monster penis. <laughs> and there's only one man who can stop the Godzilla creature. You know, there's some human that predicted that this would happen, whatever. Okay. Um, but it, it has the same themes as the monster that inspired it you know yeah we humans have destroyed the planet yes and this is earth's response and, yeah. yeah um judging by the cover there will eventually be a giant robot oh that robot it. doesn't show up in this issue does not show what a up. disappointment after a cover like this i know <laughs> this um, seems more like the cover for like a trade then that's like here's yes. a little more all-encompassing view of but what the book will be you see that yeah, you gotta buy it. You gotta buy it, right? <laughs> um, but no, it's it's a hysterical book. Uh, if you're into the kind of Deadpool esque gross out comedy, this does not disappoint yeah. by any stretch. Um, I mean, y- if you know Jerry Duggan's writing, this is squarely in bounds for him. Yeah. <laughs> well, it looks like uh, the cast of characters on the cover of the book too. Looks like it's a fun. Like it's a diverse cast. The ages are all over the place. Yeah, we we only meet the the old retired scientist, maybe. Yeah, and the general. Okay, whoever that is. Yeah. We haven't met any of these other characters yet. All right, cool. But yes, I, I'm looking forward to this book, seeing how it comments on how we've destroyed the planet, seeing how it comments on the military industrial complex. And yep. how, because it talks about that, how instead of pursuing green technology, we've pumped money into the military. Yeah, um, right. So that's, of course, our response yep. is a military response. Um, a lot of commentary on that. But it's all very tongue-in-cheek, very funny. Yeah, cool. So, a little bit lighter after you're done reading World Tree. It sounded like I needed this book <laughs> this week. Yeah. I could have used this as a palate cleanser. It, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I would recommend it to anyone who can take, you know, a little bit of politically charged humor. Yeah, I'll say that. Right. Uh, really fun. I don't. Not a lot else to say. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> uh, it was a good week for first issues. I mean, we like. I know. I didn't hit... even talk about Captain America. Yeah. Right. Did you read it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cold you did? War. For sure, it started. Oh, what time are we at? We're over an hour. I know. We can take it to the Patreon. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, hopefully, we catch you guys over on the Patreon. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. And in, in lieu of Greg, you can find us oh, online. Yes. At on Instagram, uh, on Twitter. Yes. You can email us right for yep. First Issue Club Pod. Cast, yeah, first issue club podcast at gmail.com and patreon.com slash first issue club. First issue club. What else? In- See, Greg's not here to check the boxes for us until next time. Bag and boredom. Perfect. That's his thing he says. Yeah. <laughs> first issue club is edited and produced by Mike DeStacy, Greg Licktag, and Andy Vargas. Follow us on social media at First Issue Club and check out our Patreon for videos, audio, and more at patreon.com slash first issue club. <laughs>